Hello, and welcome to The Overtake. I'm your host, John Bazella, President and CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. This podcast is about the automotive industry and the people, events, and policies that shape it. This podcast is presented by Intel, a global technology leader. Together with its subsidiary, Mobileye, Intel is revolutionizing technology for the automotive industry, delivering best-in-class automated driving solutions to make roads safer for all. Learn more at Mobileye.com. Today, we're going to look at the state of the automotive marketplace and make sense of where we are, how we got here, and what the future holds for the industry and consumers. It's no secret the pandemic has completely upended the global production of vehicles. Supply chain shortages of components like computer chips brought vehicle inventory to record lows at a time when consumer demand was extremely high. For the last two years, we have been closely monitoring the state of the automotive supply chain, working diligently to resolve current issues and collaborating with policymakers to support automakers and build resiliency over the long term. However, as this situation evolves and technology continues to transform personal transportation, better understanding the impact of these trends on the auto industry and the consumer in the marketplace is more important than ever. Thankfully, there is truly no one better to provide this insight than today's guest. Joining us is Tyson Jomini, the Vice President of Data and Analytics at J.D. Power, where he has advised original equipment manufacturers on pricing and incentives for new and used cars since 2009. Prior to joining J.D. Power, Tyson worked for Ford Motor Company and Nissan North America, where he held several positions within finance and sales and marketing, leading OEM projects in product development, manufacturing operations, pricing, and financial control. Tyson is regularly tapped by industry stakeholders and the media for his ability to interpret automotive sales, data, and trends. Our association was pleased to get his overview at our Autos 2050 Summit, and I am glad we are meeting again to discuss this topic and the industry outlook going forward. Tyson, welcome to The Overtake. Thank you, John. Excited to be here. And wow, what an introduction. Uh, You summarized the industry dynamics perfectly. You did it better than I can do it. Well, I doubt that's the case, but we'll get into it for sure. Let me um, start with the supply chain and actually more broadly, this situation where we've got strong demand, challenged supply, and a strange inventory. So tell us a little bit more about what the current marketplace looks like. Well, we ended 2021 with basically the same retail inventory levels on the ground that we have seen since really July, and that is record low inventory levels. Essentially, we're talking about 830,000 to 850,000 units on the ground in any month since July, and that compares to well in excess of 3 million units on the ground just before uh, coronavirus began and up to 4 million units sometimes in in periods where we've potentially overproduced. So a very low inventory position. We've seen pictures, right? And those of you who listening in who might have driven past an auto dealership or live near one, you can see it, right? In real life, there is just not a lot of new vehicles on the lots. And so clearly the pandemic and the supply chain dynamics that I mentioned briefly a minute or so ago are a major driver of where we are right now. So 
What, in your view, is the industry doing to continue to work through this crisis? Are there adaptations they're making? You know, how do we how do we see this playing out going further into 2022? Yeah, the industry is doing quite a bit, although we'd like to see even more done. One of the things that we've seen in the industry certainly is the mass adoption of just-in-time production, and and that. At times, it seems like it's it's a liability, but the reality is in stressful periods, it's actually the most efficient way to produce vehicles. And it actually is a shining beacon of efficiency and, and how to get things done during times of stress like this. So the big challenge of it, though, is that a system is so efficient that when there's a challenge, it tends to multiply. So in this case, what we're seeing is a global pandemic. And, and different countries are responding differently, and the, and the pandemic is taking a different course in these countries. And so we we end up having a number of parts or subcomponents that come from different parts of the earth and they're single sourced. And so when a country like Malaysia has a bigger coronavirus streak going on and, and we lose a wiring harness plant in Malaysia like we did, that can bring down entire automakers and sometimes not just one, but but several. And so this combination of single sourcing has been one of the challenges that we've seen. But as mentioned, the just-in-time process that many, if in fact, most automakers follow is really a key to, to combating this time because the system is flexible and able to respond. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of potential dual sourcing of critical parts, having things in different parts of the world. Another challenge we're seeing, of course, is the strain at the ports and the challenge of, of getting items in, particularly from Asia right now and clearing the West Coast ports has really slowed down production. So we may even see more onshoring of critical parts, whether it's in the US or, or Canada or Mexico, where we don't run into problems with critical parts being stuck out at sea when we, when we need them in our assembly plants. Just in time, you know, I grew up in the auto industry. I feel like, you know, over the course of my career, and I remember being taken onto the plant floor at a major assembly plant by the plant manager, and he would say, what do you see? And I would say, well, nothing. It's really clean. And he would say, exactly, right? There's no inventory on the floor. That's the whole idea uh, of just in time. But it seems like what I hear you saying is there's a little bit of a shift from just in time to maybe just in case. In other words, the idea that in, with certain critical components, there needs to be more resiliency in the supply chain, either additional inventory or multiple sources. So you're not suggesting that we move completely away from just in time, but that there are certain ad adaptations to this model that need to take place. Yeah, that's certainly correct. A lot of people ask, you know, could we just have more of the parts on hand? And the average assembly plant has hours of parts on hand. We're not talking about days and months. So even if you know you were looking really far into the future and you had that crystal ball and were able to foresee the challenges that we've seen, I mean, it's microchips, but it's not just that. It's it's paint resin, it's tires, it's you know as mentioned, wiring harnesses, and on and on. So even if you were completely clairvoyant and could see where it was going, and you said, "I want to double what I have on hand." Well, your on-hand inventory would go from four hours to eight hours. And so the idea that somehow just stocking up on critical parts would cure this is really not realistic in the auto industry at the scale we're talking about. So the only way to really combat it is you're not going to be able to foresee every challenge, but you do have to have the process, the flexibility of your team, and you will have to have the ability to source critical parts in more countries and more continents. So let's look at the other side of the spectrum. So demand for vehicles is strong. It's not like people aren't 
out there shopping for or would like to be out there shopping for new cars. So what's driving demand right now and what do prices look like for new cars? Well, there's been a tremendous wealth effect from really starting with coronavirus and extending into some of the looser policies we've seen at the Fed and the liquidity in the market. So when consumers, particularly the wealthiest consumers, could no longer take exotic vacations and, and you know go on safaris and, and travel to the islands. And so we saw a collection of wealth, and it did extend from the wealthiest consumers down to pretty much all income points. But we saw a lot of, of wealth created because there were no entertainment options. And you know, if you're you're working from home, the laptop class had more or less consistent employment throughout the entire coronavirus situation. So now you have all this money and no way to spend it. You're not going out to dinner and you're not going to the movies and concerts. So what do you do? Well, you buy a lot of, of items and a lot of luxury items, Apple laptops and handbags and timepieces and luxury cars. And so we saw a lot of consumers with a lot of money in their pockets and in their checking accounts looking to buy luxury vehicles. And so we've seen that the higher up the price point we went, the stronger the demand was. So that over $80,000, we were seeing sales increase 120% at points in 2021 and back in 20. So whereas we're not seeing that at the very low end, the sub $20,000 price point in the marketplace has virtually disappeared. Just a few years ago, it was 20% of all sales occurred below 20,000. Last year, it was 1%. Amazing. And so that's what's really driving the overall, the, the average transaction price, so to speak, right? So you just have this very, very, very strong demand at the upper end. And so what is the average transaction price today? As of December, it was about 45000 a little bit over that, which, which was an all-time record for uh, transaction prices at, at JD Power. And in January, it does always fall seasonally, but it's, it's kind of shocking how little it fell off. As a matter of fact, the transaction price that we're seeing January month to date would still be number two all time behind only last month in a, in a month where seasonality typically kicks in. I mean, January, we have very few premium and luxury sales, very few truck sales. So the month tends to really decline seasonally. We're not seeing that right now. Amazing. What's happening with used car prices? There's always this lack of supply for new vehicles would suggest that, of course, there would be very, very strong demand for used cars. So tell us a little bit about what the used car market looks like. Hey, it is equally on fire. The average transaction price for used cars is $30,000 in December. So that has also gone up. It, it was actually a bigger increase. It's about a 32% increase from two years ago. I and mean, I'm comparing it back to two years ago because that was sort of the, the normal time for us, right? 2019, no one knew what was coming. And so even from there, prices are up you know, in excess of 30% on the used side as well. That's really amazing. So when we think about what that means, I mean, there is a question there, right? You know, where do these numbers go? I mean, what's what's your sense of what the trends would be? So, you know, you mentioned on the on the new car side that they're surprisingly strong into January. Is there a trend you're seeing in used cars and has it peaked or will it continue to be strong and growing with regard to prices? So January, we don't quite have our final numbers in. However, it, what's interesting, John, is that we just saw the slightest change in, in January prices. In particular, those vehicles that are nearly new. I mean, consumers that were buying basically a 2001 used vehicle right now, those prices came down $500 from December. So we may just be seeing the tip of the iceberg and, and the, the turnaround and, and prices starting to head a bit lower, particularly on the used side ahead of the new side. It 
seems like the inventory levels that we have on the U side are, are more sufficient right now uh, than what we see on the new side. And, and, and why would that be? Why would there be, you know, what is happening with regard to used car inventories? So used car inventories, we're seeing about 45 days of supply on the ground. Now, some of that can be that, you know, consumers are looking at these prices and just saying, it's not for me, not right now, and, and staying out of the market. And so that is is helping build inventory levels. And so I, I think what we're really seeing is more supply, a more consistent supply of used vehicles that that come back to market. Uh, but I know most dealers right now are, are working the phones and, and working the service lanes and, and trying to get any used car they can, and in particular, you know, lightly used a couple model year old vehicles are are very hot. You know, when we think about this now, you talked about inventories a few minutes ago, new car inventories being dramatically lower than what the normal state was pre-pandemic. Do you expect we'll ever get back to those levels of inventories or is there going to be a new normal with regard to the amount of inventory that dealers carry and that manufacturers would like dealers to carry? This period has certainly helped give a lot of, of people a, a new religion in terms of inventory and, and really the, the dangers that too much inventory presents. I think it's been laid pretty clear that the industry can be more profitable with, with fewer units on the ground. Both retailers and automakers alike would benefit from that. It's still, though, a fixed asset industry and, and high fixed cost require a lot of production. And I, I think what we're going to be seeing right now is a, a horse race to be the the one to get production back up the fastest and get back to market because the temptation is there with these high transaction prices. If you could get an extra thousand or 10,000 vehicles produced, think about the profit windfall that would make. Well, everyone is eyeing that same profit. I think what we'll see is, is very high production numbers in the second half of this year, but that isn't going to necessarily translate to lower prices for consumers for a while. I think we're going to see this pricing environment all the way through the end of, of 22. And the reason that is, is because we have somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half million sales that, that have been sidelined during this time across all channels, both retail consumers as well as fleet customers that were not able to get a vehicle. And they're waiting for the supply to increase. And as they come back to market, they're going to scoop up vehicles as soon as they arrive. And that will keep transaction prices high because inventory levels are not expected to build until well into 23. Interesting. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit and look into the future a bit, but not too much into the future. We're already starting to see sort of new approaches in the marketplace, like uh, subscription services, for example, with regard to both vehicles, but also with regard to services and products within the vehicle. How do you see that developing? I mean, is it we're early days and it's going to continue to develop? Is it just a passing fad? What's your sense about subscriptions? I, I think it's early days. And you know, my personal take is I hate it. I don't want to see subscription features. Features in, in automobiles. I don't, I don't think consumers necessarily appreciate it, but I think it's an inevitability. I think consumers now are used to monthly contracts. We're used to our cell phone contract. We're used to our Netflix bill. These things are, are just sort of there. And now the idea that we can add features on demand for vehicles is, is a pretty tempting revenue source for automakers. And I think it's an, an inevitability right now. Even as Ford Motor Company came out this week and said, that's not something we're going to do. We're we're not going to offer 
uh, subscription options on the vehicle. But I think the revenue stream and the potential profit for it will overweigh hesitation. And, and honestly, consumers are just so used to paying monthly fees and streaming costs and on and on that I, I don't think long-term consumers will have an issue with you know, paying $10 a month for heated seats in winter and, and being able to turn that off in summer. It's interesting, right? I think there is an underlying reality about vehicles today that the casual observer of the industry might not realize is enabling this, right? I mean, you know, the vehicle has been so substantially digitized that these types of offerings can be presented through over-the-air updates, right? Yeah, and a lot of consumers, you know, own a vehicle for for six years or so, and so they're out of market for a long time. And so, if you're just returning to market for the first time in six years, the amount of technology and the change that we've seen inside an automobile is is really quite staggering. You're going to see powertrain technologies in the form of plug-in or electric vehicles. You're going to see a lot of safety technology that has really made cars a lot safer. And of course, finally, the infotainment tech, the car play and the ability to have a lot more entertainment choices in your car is all going to be so new that you know if you haven't been in the market, it's pretty amazing the amount of technology and features you get in a car these days. Uh, you know, we give you big screens and reverse cameras and technology to keep your vehicle in the lane and keep you from rear-ending someone. It's an incredibly new experience, particularly for coming out of an older automobile. Yeah, it's so true that the safety technology is really dramatic. I think the points you've made, uh, automatic emergency braking, for example, lane keep assist, uh, and lane departure warnings are, I think, not only proven safety technologies, but you're seeing them more and more available across the marketplace. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. These features, particularly the ones you named with the addition of the blind spot warning, have taken the industry by storm very quickly. I mean, from about five or six years ago, they were in the single digits percentage-wise for penetration on all of those features. And today we're talking about 50, 60, and up to 70% of vehicles have these of, of all new vehicles sold at all price points. And, and many automakers have, have made a commitment to a number of these standard safety features such as you know automatic emergency braking and, and lane keep assist. So it's very quickly working its way through the entire portfolio of automakers and all consumers now at all price points are getting access to the latest safety features. Yeah, I think that's a great news story, it seems to me, for the customer, certainly, and for not only people in the vehicle, but people outside the vehicle. Like when you think about automatic emergency braking and how that helps pedestrians and others, bicyclists and the like. You mentioned powertrain choice. We noted in a recent offering of our Get Connected quarterly update on the EV market that over the course of 2021, EV sales doubled from roughly 2% to roughly 4%. What do you think is going on there? And what do you think the long-term trends are in, in the you know electrification space? The EV space, you're really going to get me excited. You know, once you mention millennials, then I'm really, I'm, you know, you're not going to be able to stop me. But talking about EVs is, is where I really get excited because of what has happened there and the change the industry has made to address its its earlier mistakes. Back in the day, when we first started in EVs in the, the early part of last decade, we, we really focused on putting them in, in hatchbacks and, and very entry-level vehicles. And because the powertrain technology was so expensive. And what we saw was that consumers weren't really interested in that. And many of the vehicles were done for sale in carb states. And so you saw some very low monthly lease payments on these vehicles, $80 a month to lease an EV in California. And if I could interrupt here just for the casual listener, when Tyson says 
carb states he's referring to states that have a regulation that requires a certain number of EVs to be sold. Uh, and so what you're suggesting is that was the industry approach years ago. Yeah. And let's give credit to Tesla where it's due. They showed the industry that EVs can be exciting and even in a sexy vehicle package, right? I mean, when they came out with the Model S, that's one of the most attractive designs the industry has ever had. And it has an electric powertrain. And in addition to so many other cool features, but we learned from really that, that if you could focus on the technology side and the fun side of EVs and not the lowest end vehicle with an electric powertrain decision, and that really changed the game. And so now what we're seeing is EVs coming from the top down, really taking the luxury market by storm first. And then the second biggest change, and it just happened just over a year ago, was that we started putting the electric powertrain into the vehicle that consumers most want to buy, which is SUVs. It's not hatchbacks anymore. It's not sedans. We focused on a part of the market that was that was quickly fading. And now we've turned around and said, let's put them into vehicles like the Ford Mustang Mach-E and the Volkswagen ID4. And those vehicles, along with Model Y, those three alone are now greater than 50% of all EV sales. And that part of the market is really driving things forward. And John, we haven't even started yet. Once this whole class of EV pickups hit the market, I think we're going to really start to see things change quickly. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm driving a Mach-E right now, and I love it. And EVs are fun to drive. There's no question about that. And as a driver of many other EVs, I couldn't agree more. I want to come back to your, as we wrap up here and we look into the future, I want to come back to your point about millennials. So what can millennial car buyers tell us about where the car market is going into the future? Yeah. And right at the same time, we've had this this transition to the a new kind of vehicle that people are buying in terms of EVs, we're seeing a new buyer out there, which is millennials. It started during the pandemic when we saw a lot of baby boomers and pre-boomers staying home for health reasons, staying away from the pandemic. And we thought, well, it's probably just a blip that millennials are now number one. However, the further away we've gotten from that event, the stronger the millennial growth has gotten as well. So that today, millennials are now 37% of all new car sales, which is number one by nearly 10 percentage points over baby boomers. And of course, Gen X is even further back. So we have these new millennials and they're doing the classic American, you know, move to the suburbs, couple up and have some children or find some children and and buy those lifestyle vehicles. And so we see millennials are now the number one car buyers in 17 of 27 segments. And all of those are three row crossovers, large utility vehicles, large pickups, minivans. I mean, you name it, the lifestyle, the Home Depot on the weekend and soccer field crowd. That's the millennials now. And, and they are leading the way forward from here. Wow. Well, Tyson, thank you so much for being on The Overtake. I really appreciate your time, and it was a super conversation. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, John. A lot of fun. For everyone else, thanks for joining us. To hear the 2021 Summit conversation with Tyson, go to the Programs tab on autos2050.com. And remember to like and follow the Alliance for Automotive Innovation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And subscribe to The Overtake wherever podcasts can be found. Until next time, thanks.